Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken joined down the line by David Hartrick, as per usual. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, I'm excellent, excellent. Birthday in two days, which I'll be working because I'm at the Rotherham game. But uh, yeah, excellent, mate. 10th of April, get your whisper bouquets across as soon as you can. Yeah, it's 10th of April, but it ends immediately. I'm not somebody who gets to draw their birthday out for a few days because my wife's is on the 12th of April. So it's literally, let's get my festivities out the way and then let's have a week of Penny's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it should work. I don't think anyone's here to, to hear about birthdays. We'll move on. Uh, we've had two games, believe it or not. I know it feels like we've only had one, but we have had two games since we last recorded. Uh, so we'll um, we'll start with the first one because I think we just need to get it out of the way, <laughs> don't we? Huddersfield Town won, Brentford won. Uh, really good performance and good result, good point, well earned. Yeah, it was. I, they, I thought what was good about that game was the reaction to Vallejo going off because... Town looked good with Vallejo in that role, and he was he was playing well. Went off nasty clash of heads, and he was clearly struggling a little bit. Um, absolutely the right decision to go off, and Town managed to adjust. and And O'Brien was was really really good, and yeah, it, Town sort of have Brentford's number a little bit, don't they? Um, yeah, I know they got panned the down there. I know they got panned down there at the earlier in the season, but got a very decent record against them yeah uh, I was looking at it before the game I think that 3-0 earlier in the season is the only I think it was the only time in the last five meetings that they'd lost and that's now obviously one in six um, so that I've got it up now so to speak they've taken 11 <laughs> points from Brentford off the last six meetings between the teams so considering that that Brentford have been a good team for a, for a few years now uh, it's, it's quite an impressive record and Town, yeah, deserved the point. They got that early goal through Lewis O'Brien, which on his right foot and the weirdness of the finish, we were just talking, reminding ourselves of the goal because we'd almost forgotten about this game before we came on, on air. And um, I, I think when I first saw the goal, it's like, oh, did he mean to do that? And then you watch the replays. It's like, yeah, he absolutely did. He, he knew the keeper was completely out of position and was you know was was gonna have to go back the other way having just raced to get he basically ran straight back across the face of his own goal it was really odd goalkeeping mm. uh yeah. brian identified it and just put it into the middle of the net on his his weaker I right th- foot i think he just completely lost sense of where his goal was yeah. he was out of his six yard box which most goalkeepers used to navigate anyway mm. And he just completely lost his lost his bearings, and I thought the thing about that goal was yes, it was it was a mistake. Um, it was a terrible. I can't remember who the defender was, um, but it was a fairly terrible pass. Defender, the goalkeeper, all over the place. But at that point in the game, Town were good for that lead. That was. Oh yeah. It it was perhaps not the goal they. It was not the fashion they deserved a goal from really because they were they were playing really really well. They had their usual retreat, and uh, you know it was it was slightly frustrating as per with Huddersfield Town when they're on top, they find a way to then slowly retreat and bring the opposition onto them, and it was a shame they conceded that equaliser because it was 
I I think it would be easier to talk about if the equaliser had maybe been the sort of free-flowing move when Tony hit the post instead of the sort of... I wouldn't go far as, say, defensive calamity, but the just sort of general... It was a mess. Two chances, <laughs> yeah, two chances to clear, not taken, and players not in position properly, and... Set pieces are an issue, I think, Steve. Yeah, we touched on this five in five conclusions. I think they had that run over Christmas where they scored. I think they scored multiple corners in in a short span. I think they scored three in the space of ten days um, from corners. Uh, but they they've really missed Isaac and Benza. But the, the long and short of it is the only person who can actually deliver a set piece in that squad. Carolitin, to be fair, um, but oh, you know he's been out injured since January. And Isaac and Benza, um, they've scored ten goals from set pieces this season and eight of them have been taken by Mbenza. Three of them he's just shot and scored uh, and the others he's he's either taken them, you know, just co- crossed them straight in or he's been part of a short routine. Um, so yeah, they, they do miss him from that and it was, it was kind of reminiscent of that. It didn't go straight in but it was reminiscent of that Barnsley um, throw in that they scored because it was a similar kind of area. Um I guess the Barnsley one they set up and just defended really poorly, but they there were still some similarities. Pippa and Campbell got caught uh, claiming that it was their throw instead of just getting in position and and getting ready to take it because uh, Canos was able to go sort of round the outside, uh, M&M style, and get the cross into the box and... Pontus Janssen, I think Yayasanogo was meant to be marking him, was completely free, got the header that Saar did really well to, to clear off the line. And then four men go out to the Brentford player for the second ball and they leave four men completely unmarked. So it's a tap-in in the end. I don't think there were people having a go at Schofield and Keogh for that. I, I don't think they were the ones to blame. I think there were lots of other individual moments that led up to that that, you know, they shouldn't have had a block or a, or a save to make in the first place. So, But, I mean, I thought that I agree with you about the start Town had. The first sort of 22 minutes before Vallejo went off, they were really good. And I think actually, in some ways, the goal they scored was fitting because the plan was was to to press high up and they picked the they picked a 4-2-3-1 and it worked because you had the the three was was O'Brien, Campbell and Holmes and they were there to press they were there not so much for what they did on the ball although obviously O'Brien was brilliant in the end but for the energy they would bring in the press and they were able to do that and and go to the four and sort of you know risk losing that centre back because they had that two of Vallejo and Hogg who you know are going to be if nothing else defensively disciplined and and keep their shape and and protect that back line um and yeah I mean we'll come on to that later but I think that is important to note but I thought when Vallejo went off Bakuna came on they just the long and short is they just don't have another player like Vallejo and who can do the things Vallejo does and bring the control either defensively or especially on the ball that Vallejo can bring and um, I think Bakuna didn't have a great game but I think you could have whoever you'd put in that role they would have missed Vallejo in that in that instant. Yeah, he was uh, he was good. He's he's quietly become for a certain game plan. He's quietly become the key man Vallejo, and it's it's because of his range of passing, I think. Um, and yeah, it was it was 
it was what it was. But I think I speak for everyone when I say stop talking about Brentford and start talking about Norwich. <laughs> yeah, there's been a real lack of Alan Partridge references in our in our coverage. I think I we might have done more if not for how it went. Uh, you all know, you might have heard, it was Norwich 7, Huddersfield Town nil on the day. Dire, dire stuff, wasn't it, Dave, from start to finish? Yeah, it was it was awful. I mean, as a as an analyst, you sort of sit here and you think, right, where am I gonna what threads am I gonna find to pull? What is where do I think is there an issue? What am I looking at statistically? When the team comes out and from the first minute they're playing as frightened as they were and uh, I mean talk about that midfield, Steve. Which midfield? Exactly. <laughs> they yeah, I mean it was I I mean we were when the lineup came out you know I I I text you saying I really don't like O'Brien at, at left wing back I thought no. that was that was such a an odd decision not only because I mean if you're going to what for one thing I thought it was odd to change away from the system that did so well in the first 20 minutes against Brentford and I know we've just said they don't have another like for like play with Vallejo but I think it was clear that that was their best spell against Brentford I thought they invited a lot of pressure and and they did keep them at arm's length but they did invite a lot of pressure um, from Brentford over the last hour of the game thereabouts by uh, and especially after they switched to the to the three or five at the back I thought those were the right moves for the for the time but I think when you're starting out the game and you're trying to get a foothold and the, the the way to go was to emulate that approach that they took from the start against Brentford, the 4-2-3-1. Um, so I, I wasn't particularly enamoured with the, the, the formational change, but to make that change and put O'Brien in a position where he's played poorly twice this season when he's filled in there before. So he's he played at left back rather than left wing back for, uh, against Wickham, I believe, and then moved mm. to a wing back role and didn't do great. He started at left wing back against Middlesbrough and got replaced by Aaron, Aaron Rowe, which is when we discovered Aaron Rowe's ability there. Um, and I understand that Rowe has been exposed in recent games. He didn't do great against QPR, and I thought he had a, a poor game against Brentford defensively as well. Um, but to move the player who had been, to move Lewis O'Brien, who had been so far and away the best player on the pitch against Brentford, not just in a town shirt, but in any shirt, and who had been on such good form. I think, you know, five out of the last eight games when I looked at it, he or the previous eight games before Norwich, he had been the key man for town. He had been the danger man. He'd been the one looking to, to be a threat on the ball and was as brilliant as we know him to be off it. Moving him to left wing back, you're not only putting a poor a player who can't play that role in a position he can't play, you're also removing your best player from his preferred position and putting a weaker player in his place. I just thought that was so odd to begin with before we even kicked off. Yeah, I don't think it was a team pick to lose like the Bournemouth one. Um, no. A lot of people said, "Oh, it's you know, it's just like the Bournemouth game." I don't get with that, but it was, it was a team. The best way I can describe it, I think, is probably that it was a team pick to teach treat the game almost as a free hit. And the problem was that with players out of position and with obviously there had been a message about how good Norwich were because they they were they they were scared of them they really were scared of them it was 
I said on Twitter it was the exact wrong sort of inferiority complex because it was fear, not fight. And they were standing off them. I mean, how many times did Norwich just run in straight lines? Yeah. Like, I, think, I mean, there's a couple of things. Corbrand said that he picked the team he basically wanted his, his most experienced players on. So that's why you had Stearman instead of Edmunds Green and why you had O'Brien instead of... Uh, instead of either Rowe or Brown, you know, and, and why you had uh, Danny Ward up front instead of, uh, you know, a Yaya Sonogo. I'm not sure. I mean, they're a similar kind of age, but there you go. Um, and I think I agree. I think that apart from maybe the front two, there you would say he, I think Corbrand thought that was his strongest team. Um, and even then with the front two, you can argue, you could make the argument that I'd made on Saturday, which is he's put his best crosser in Mbenza on with the player who is on paper his best finisher which is Danny Ward uh, and also got minutes into Ward I think is is the other thing yeah I saw a few people quite critical of Ward and I don't get that at all because he's the he's the 11th player I would criticize after that yeah he had absolutely zero service there was nothing he could do at any one time there was about 25 yards between him and the closest player to him and I just I couldn't get on board with that at all and I I thought that the midfield being non-existent was I mean we made a joke about it earlier but it really was poor I mean Holmes was he he properly had one he was struggling like mad and I just feel that more than anything, I feel like the attitude was all wrong. I think yeah. you can make arguments for Corbyn's selection, apart from O'Brien at, at, at left-back, like you have. I think you can make lots of arguments about players playing a certain way and experience and strength in certain areas, etc. But I just think the attitude and the, the it was all wrong. They, they stood off them, they were scared. They went 1-0 down, and I was watching to see what the reaction would be because I had that little I had that little moan earlier in the season when they were on that bad run and I said, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they can see the goal and everybody just turns around and walks away. And they did that on the first goal and it was like, you, come on, you can't give up on a game because you're 1-0 down early on. And the other thing that I thought was pretty disappointing was it's like three nil down in the first half, change it. Even if you just bring yeah. literally everybody back behind the ball and just say, Right, we're just gonna try and create the Alamo till half time and then we can look at it properly. Don't concede another two before half time because mm-hmm. you haven't changed it. I just thought that was I, I was actually I was quite staggered by that, Steve. I I think that's perhaps a little bit of inexperience from Corbyn, if I'm honest. Just thinking at 2-0 where well, we'll get through to half-time, and then at 3-0 where well, we'll get through to half-time, and then at 4-0, and then at 5-0. You know, you've got to, as I said, even if you literally just bring everybody back behind the ball and just say, right, we're going def- to we're gonna have a line of eight and then two in front, you, mm-hmm. you've got to do something because... I mean, it's no exaggeration to say it was 5-0 at half-time, Steve. And, I mean, it could have been 8 or 9. No yeah, problem didn't, whatsoever. It, it didn't flatter them. The scoreline didn't no. flatter them at half-time. It didn't flatter them at full-time at all. 
and yeah, I mean, it was it was just crying out for another man in midfield because they were just, as you say, it was non-existent. They were just breezing past them. And the mm. problem you've got there is that you've you've picked your three most experienced players, but they're all uh, in defence as your back three. But they're yeah. also your your slowest three defenders. Um, mm. You know, with no Edmonds Green in there. And I understand not picking Edmonds Green actually because he he can we've said before he can get done by by trickery. Um, he can still get bullied a little bit. That's yeah. the thing. Pookie is a very you know like it should be said. Pookie is a really really good player. Campwell is a Premier League player. Uh, Wendy yeah. is is it's sensational. Phenomenal. But every bit as good as Norwich were. Huddersfield were as bad. I mean, I think as good as Norwich have been, I think they've only scored. Haven't they only scored three twice this season? Uh, I think. I think it was five. I think it's four or five times. But I can tell you that, like the local media, there were absolutely mouth yeah. agape at how good Norwich were. They they had they hadn't seen this from Norwich like before. I think basically ever. Uh, but they probably Farker. never played a team who were were you know frightened to lay a glove on. Them. <laughs> well, this is this is sort of the the sort of you know someone to one of the Norwich guys turned to me afterwards and said that was more Norwich being brilliant than town being bad though I think wasn't it and I said well well," and I've been thinking about that since and I think that probably if town had turned up and played their absolute bet well put it this way I think if Norwich had played that way against Watford they would have scored three or four but I also think that if town had played that way against Wickham they also would have conceded three or four and we know that's true because they did and they did (laughs) so the two add up and compound and you get the scoreline you got you know you've got three or four either end uh, this this is the thing I've for all for as good as Norwich were I've not seen Towns midfield be that bad this season even in the I mean I I I still think bizarrely as bad as this result was I still think the nadir of the season was the Preston 3-0 because that was just so uh, utterly lifeless and it was a, it, it, in a game where they could have got on the front foot and got something out of this. I'm not saying Town could have gone to Carrow Road to the team at the top of the table who have a load of Premier League quality players in there and got something, but they could have gone to Carrow Road and not got beaten 7 0. That is the yeah. thing. They could have. It, this could have been a 2 0 or a 2 1 or. Mm. Town literally lost to them one nil earlier in the season. This was, uh, I mean, it was it was grim viewing. It really was because Zar was all over the place at the back. Stearman and Keogh looked like tugboats. They had they were completely exposed by the midfield. Holmes had one. O'Brien out of position just didn't work. Ward had no one near him, and Benza was was back to the Benza of of old. Dehaney, they left that gap in between, in behind. This, the, the the wing backs were so high up. They were yeah. they were trying to they were trying to make the lines by having the three and then a, a quite a clear five and then your two. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this is where I this is where I say the four two three one I think would have helped in it because then at least you've got two lines to get through before you mm. you're on the attack. Uh, but they as soon as you get through that midfield line, you've got a one on one with a defender who you're going to do for pace. And you know, I thought I thought Pookie's second goal um, was just sensational. To be fair, that the ball from Buendia in behind uh, and the run from Pookie, you know. There were a couple of goals where you just say, do you know what, fair enough. Um, yeah. And I thought the, the Dowell one as well, the move for that was, was lovely.
ghastly stuff. Um, but again, it's it's that it's that gap out wide though, Steve. Yeah, That's exactly. the thing. You know, that as good as that Pookie goal is, Brendier is playing it into an area there because he knows where to stretch the centre backs. The Dow goal is coming from a move out wide because they know there's a gap there. They nearly scored that Dow goal five times, yeah. and that's not a you know that's not a coincidence. That's because. Their manager had identified where the gap was going to be, which was behind the wing back. So if you watch, they kept putting a man out there. They were brave enough and confident enough to do it. And it's just that lack of reaction that I found so stark, yeah, exactly. Steve. Just, just pull. You have to say to your wing backs, O'Brien and Dehaney, no players are five. You yeah. know, you've got to go back, and that defensively, we've got to be as a five because. We've conceded two here early on. This could turn nasty unless we do something about it. You just you don't let it get to five nil at half time because it's it's it it was it was worrying. I thought it was a the problem is to talk about this in the wider context. It, am I allowed to talk about this in the wider context for a bit, Steve? Or do you want to talk? About <laughs> yeah, no, I think we should. I w- I wanted to as well. Let's do it. The problem. The problem with Huddersfield Town this season is everything is in the extreme. They are they are extremists by definition. So they get rid of the Cowleys because they want somebody who plays this attacking, exciting football. So at the start of the season, the, the style has completely changed and it's extreme because they've got to stick to it. They can't deviate from it and they get some good results. But then you have the extreme of picking that team at Bournemouth which produces you know, a, an extreme performance, an extreme result like that. Then you have the extreme of the reaction to that being to keep the same 11 for game after game after game. And not only that was he keeping the same 11, me and you were tearing our hair out because the subs were coming after the 75th minute and there were players who were clearly really, really tired. Then you have the extreme of the injury crisis, which isn't a couple of players out. It's, you know, at one point there's about 12 players out, wasn't there? I think. You have the extreme of not winning at all in January and then it taking, you know, going into February, on a, I think it was eight weeks total where they didn't win. You have the extreme of coming out of that by battering Swansea 4-1. You know, they don't get like a sneaky little 1-0 or something like that. They have to go like the whole hog. Then you have the extreme change of system where they need points. So they go, right, OK, well, we're not going to play Carlos any ball anymore. We're going to go the exact opposite and go really prog- pragmatic and dogged and try and drag teams down. And then finally you have the extreme of, of this capitulation. They just, this whole season, they've not been able to find any sort of balance. It's either all in one pot or all in another pot, or all in a completely different pot. And I just... It, it worries me going forward because whenever I whenever I say there's an issue with something or something like that, all you get on Twitter is that oh well it's the it's the players, it's the squad, it's it's they've got to get better players, the recruitment's got to be better. We've talked about what a big summer it is, and they they do have to recruit, and we know the squad is light, but these sort of wild swings 
from one thing to the other are not down to having a bit of a light squad. You know, no, these, because it's these... the same players. It's you know the same yeah. players that can play brilliantly in one half or one game will then be dreadful playing the same system mm. the following week. And that points to sort of like there's there's a fund, fundamental unbalance at the moment there that they really need to address because otherwise this this is what Carlos Corbran's town are going to be. They, they've got to find a way to go through a month where they win a couple, lose one and draw one. Because town at the moment, they just can't do that. It's all or nothing. They've either got to have a really, really good month or a terrible month where they lose every game. It's... Until they can stop being extremists, they're not going to get themselves where they want to be for this three to five year plan, which is the next step after this is a nice, safe, controlled season in mid-table. And mid-table this season is not a million miles away. You know, I said to you the other day, it's like it's seven or eight points away. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about, you know, complete massive shift. You're talking about beating Wickham, you know, maybe getting something at Preston recently and beating Birmingham. And then you're in you're you're sort of in that lower mid table. But this extremism really costs them. Really, really costs them these wild swings. And as I said, that's not you can't just sit there and say, Well, it's because the squad's light. It's not. It's not, you know. You can't say that an injury crisis where you have I mean, honestly, at one point it was it was about ten or eleven out. And they constantly, from January and February, they've had like five first-teamers out at any one time. You you can't say that's just bad luck. It's Again, it's just extremism. And they've got to, they've got to find a way to just be, well, to be, to, to be brutally honest with you, to just be a bit more average in every area. Yeah, which is exactly what we were calling for this time last year. It's, it's hard to feel like very much as has changed in the the grander scheme to be honest um i think i think there are criticisms to be made of the squad depth in that if i mean let's be honest it's clear that that Corbrand doesn't really trust Jaden brown because he, and we've said this before because he's picked basically anyone and everyone else rather than play Jaden brown as his second second choice left back and i think going into next season they need to be absolutely 100 percent confident that Gorbrand has two players in every position who he is happy to play because otherwise you end up with this square pegs and in round holes situation that you've ended up with at Norwich but yeah I, I I'm inclined to agree with you I think they've they've got some decent players there and and I think the I think that the inconsistency is probably a sign of the overall quality of the team or rather with the current with the specific current injuries they have they're missing a lot of players with that x factor then we've talked about this before as well but like likes of Josh Caroma Caroliting the players who can make sort of something come out from nothing Bakuna's meant to be one of those players but we just don't see it from him often enough um and I think that that has hurt them but at the same time you've had you've had two catastrophic results and I think and by which I mean the score lines here the the Bournemouth and Norwich and I think the Bournemouth was the wrong team was picked because there was a bit of well we're losing this anyway so we might as well rotate it and you know it will take our 2-0 and we'll get we'll save players for the weekend or for the midweek as it was then this I don't think it as we've discussed I don't think it was that I, I think it was I think it was just the wrong selection and that is a worry but I but think again it's... though Steve again though right as I said that Bournemouth game 
you went to the extreme of picking that side, which, like you said, pretty much wrote the game off, if, we, if we're brutally honest with you. But then there's that extreme reaction to that, where he picks the same 11 for how many games in a row? Yeah, it was five after that. And as I said, we were the substitutions were all coming really late. Yeah. Me and you were saying, you've got players out there, you can clearly see are tired. Yeah. And then when they start dropping like flies with injuries, you, you know, you can't say that that's not, that's not related. And this this is what I mean. The, the middle ground is where Huddersfield Town's ambitions need to lie in the immediate future. There's nothing wrong with being in the middle ground because the middle ground allows you the the time away from the stress of relegation, etc. Or the potential having to push, push, push of a promotion to actually grow something and build something and consolidate and then get yourself ready for the next step. And I just feel like this season they've just they they just can't get there. They just can't get in there. And it it's it's worrying because as I said, next season we said in the summer what they really needed this season was to finish between twelfth and fifteenth, nice safe roller coaster free season and that hasn't happened and you look at it at the moment and you think well how what fundamentally changes so that, that happens next season and i i don't know because as an analyst you can only work with the evidence you've got yeah i think your view isn't it dave is that you could get more out of the players that are available than the town are getting at the moment yeah i do i do i've <laughs> I know where the issues are with the squad, and I, I I completely understand that it's a bit light. But also, Town were active in January. They bought players in, um, and you can talk about them all being B-team signings. I don't believe they are for a second. I think there are ways you could you could get more out of this team, and I don't think you have to swing between, right, we're playing short-controlled, passing-pressing football, that's what we're doing, to, right, we're playing really pragmatic, we're going to make it stodgy, we're going to make it difficult football. I think Again, you can find happy mediums, and you can you can make the most of, of what you've got, and I just feel like... I, I feel like at the moment that Carlos Corbran, they've committed to this project... They have to stick with it. I, you know, I'm certainly not saying here that Corbyn has definitely got to go or anything like that. I don't believe that. I think if you've committed something, you've got to try and see it through. But it's got to come to a point where you can't just grumble about what you haven't got all the time. You've got to go, right, okay, well, this is what I've got and this is what I'm dealing with. And I'm not saying Corbran has, but I'm saying from the fans' point of view, they it, it's not a relegation squad, this, Steve. It, it's, no. not a, it's not a Wickham or a Rotherham squad, which with all due respect to those clubs that they haven't invested massively because they've known realistically they were probably going to go back down and they're probably going to try and bounce it's it's not a bad squad you, there are areas where it's light but they've also got some real quality in there and yeah it it's just these extremes that are absolutely killing them mm. <laughs> absolutely killing them well this is it i mean i agree with you that this actually despite being the biggest defeat since 1987 is not the nadir of the season you you think it's preston i would go with with wickham personally the capitulation against wickham even barnsley i came away from feeling like that's such a waste and i think that's just because we didn't expect to to go into norwich and get anything so it it feels to me like 
the result is probably going to be inconsequential now there is the goal difference thing factor to talk about there as well um which is that of course if they do lose to rotherham on saturday then suddenly that goal difference swing where town had the best goal difference in the bottom seven i think it was before the norwich game now they're worse off than than four or five teams down at the bottom there i think it's four of the teams that are immediate rivals for that relegation place and that is not good news at all if they were to lose at the weekend but that's maybe that's a conversation we can have next week if that if it comes mm. to that i i just think that that tactically that was uh, the result maybe won't do them that much harm because you expected to lose anyway but yeah tactically i think that was as bad as anything we've seen this season and on top of that the players were also dreadful you know that the, the game plan was wrong and the players compounded that by playing badly as well. And, you know, we sat here two weeks ago and said we felt like Corbrands was probably doing about a par job, or at least I did. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard to, to now go back on that and say, after a week where, <laughs> let's remember, they have taken a point more than we thought they were going to from these two games. Weirdly, it doesn't feel like it because of the nature of that defeat. But I think this time last week we said, well, we're not, you know, any point you get from these two games is a bonus. Uh, it's all about the Rotherham game. And I think we still feel that way. But it's... One, it's the sort of the lack of hope going into that that Rotherham game now. Like I think the any confidence fans might have taken from that five game unbeaten run has now been completely erased, and now <laughs> probably half the fans are convinced they're they're going to lose at the weekend. Um, but also, it's just as you say, it it just exposes all those problems again. It just lays them all out, and it it tell and it, this is both the reason why I think it's not the not the most catastrophic result of the season and why it's also a worry is because I don't think anything that we saw is a particularly new issue this season it's been sort of a repetition of issues we've seen previously um and that's a concern and that that can't continue you know we've got what they did last time when they had that 5-0 at, at Bournemouth is they followed it they, it came off the back of two good results they'd beaten QPR 2-0 and Sheffield Wednesday 2-0 and they followed it up with two good results so they they drew with Coventry and I know people were underwhelmed with that goalless draw but that was a really if you go back and watch that game that was both teams worked their absolute nuts off yeah. um, you know yeah. it was real Coventry real battle are, for, for that point Coventry are a better side than their league position um they yeah. they are getting like a hundred they're getting a hundred and five percent from everybody in that squad they're they're doing brilliantly to be perfectly honest with you when you look comparatively and and then after that they beat Watford 2-0 um yeah so they were able to but this is the problem is that we're still talking about that Bournemouth result even though probably again in the grander scheme of the season unless it comes down to goal difference probably not going to matter and that came in the middle of of their best probably their best run of the season they have a chance now to do the same with this result and you know I think you you maybe judge Corbrand more on the what happens in the next sort of three four games than than on the back of this individual result alone. But there's no doubt that it blots his copybook in a in a major way. Yeah, it it's it's a headline, isn't it? That's the thing. It's it's a headline, and I think some of the reaction has been. A little bit OTT from certain angles, but you know, as I said, we can sit here and make the argument about how good Norwich are, and we have made that argument. But there's there's just no denying how bad Town were on the night, and yeah, that's it, it's a worry because that Rotherham game was a, a stress 
game anyway, really, um, because Town have to have to win it. They're expected to win it, and that's not the that's not the position they've enjoyed, shall we say, this season. But now, after losing seven nil, and after hooking a load of your first team off, um, you really have got to go and win that. And it suddenly feels like Town have not only got to win it, but really they've got to make a little bit of a statement again, and they've got to play well. And yeah, it, it's that Town should not be in this position at this point of the season. This shouldn't be a stress game. This should be a fairly routine home win. And that that is the issue. Again, extremes, always extremes. Yeah, I think if you look at the fixtures, there are a lot of stress games coming up. I think we I can't remember if we talked about this on mic. We've certainly talked about it off mic. Um but Town have got Rotherham who have got who are in a relegation battle. They've got Bournemouth who are fighting to secure a, a playoff spot. Forest, okay, probably nothing there. Barnsley fighting for a playoff spot. Blackburn don't really have anything to play for. And then you've got Coventry who have got the relegation fight as well, and Reading who are fighting for a playoff spot. So they've got five out of their remaining seven games are against teams that have some at least as it stands at the moment, are going to have something to play for. You compare that to say Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday are playing a load of teams with absolutely nothing to play for. Um, So I'll bring up their fixtures now to to make this point. Sheffield Wednesday's remaining fixtures are QPR. Swansea, who are pretty safe in their... Well, maybe not. They're they're in bad form. To be fair, that is a tricky one for them. But then Bristol City, Blackburn Rovers, Middlesbrough, Forest, Derby. Now, that Derby game could could be significant in the end but you would think probably not so you've got that is a bit of a concern and I don't think Wednesday are going to make it I think they've got way too much to do it's Rotherham who have got the games in hand really that you need to worry about which is why Saturday is a um, is a big six pointer but you can understand why you know after watching the worst defeat half of the Huddersfield fan base will have seen in their lifetimes just by pure stats we know that's true um and you look at the fixtures that the other teams have you know Rotherham have got other six points to come against Coventry and Birmingham um so they've got more winnable games to come uh, as well as those games in hand you can understand why people would be looking at that and and panicking. And I think you and I have been sitting here and saying, I think they're pretty much safe now. They're, they're one win away, maybe, and, and that'll be fine. And I think if they do beat Rotherham at the weekend, then they will be fine. But it's the, it's the double thing of that result on Tuesday makes you feel like it's very it's suddenly a very difficult game for them whereas i think on saturday afternoon we were all we all would have been fairly confident of at least not losing to rotherham you know at least getting a, a draw but the other thing is we talked last week about town just need a positive end to the season to feel like uh things are moving in the right direction and i don't think that's possible now i think even if they were to win four of their remaining seven, five of their remaining seven, this Norwich game is going to be the thing that stands out about the their town's end of season running and the fact that they made it difficult. Um, so unless they go and get a 7-0 win of their own, I think that is this is going to be a stink they take into the summer and they really could have done without that. Mm, I, don't, I don't disagree. I, I think that... <sighs> I I still believe town safe. If I'm brutally honest with you, I I it it would be from this position, it would be a fairly extraordinary turnaround because it's very easy to just concentrate on what town are doing and forget that all the other results have got to go for whatever team manages to catch them. 
But there's a very real chance that Town could, you know, they could finish in 21st if this carries on. And that shouldn't have been what this season was about. This season was supposed to be about progress. Corbyn was supposed to be about attacking football and progressing the squad. We were told he was a you know brilliant coach and Town really have put all their eggs in that basket. And as I said, I think when you do that, you have to see it, see it through as much as you can. There's... <laughs> I'm talking about how extremist Town have been all season. You can't then go and add to that by getting rid of the manager, in my brutal opinion. That's the exact opposite. But I spoke about it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, about trying to finish the season on a little bit of a high. Trying to just, just, as you said, have something you can take into the summer and get back to playing better football and getting some some minutes for some players in the side in games where they can actually express themselves and and feel confident and suddenly in the course of 90 minutes that feels a long way off again (laughs) I do think they only need one win and I do think they'll get it because as bad as that run is as you made it sound Steve there are a lot of home games there to get there's still what four games at yeah, home yeah yeah and you know Rotherham at home Coventry at home I I expect them to win one or the other of those games and I honestly think that's yeah. enough and for- Forest but, yeah. Forest away and Blackburn away no. Yeah, Forest Forest are a funny side, um, or Brighton Beers, I like to call them. They're a funny side. I've no idea what to expect every time Forest go on the pitch. If I'm brutally honest yeah. with you, and, and Black Blackburn are in real doldrums at the moment. They're they're in a position yeah. where they're calling for their manager to be, you know, <laughs> to 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 go and things like that. They're in a dreadful run, and yeah, you would you would expect Town to get four more points before the end of the season. You'd expect them to have a win and a draw before the yeah, end of the yeah, season. Yeah. And, and if it comes against Rotherham, then it's done, really. Yeah, it it really is, and. But what I think you're exactly right, Steve. I think the thing is that this result is like a big tent pole, isn't it? It's it's a unfortunately a seven nil is the sort of result that not only does it affect you, everybody else in the league looks at it and goes, "Oh." <laughs> so suddenly, these games are a little bit more stressed, and they've just got to they've got to stay the course, and they've they've got to try and. I don't know. I mean, would you go? I'm loath to say it, Steve. Like, but would you go pragmatic against Rotherham? No, who are, <laughs> no, I, absolutely not. I think, I think, as much as you can, maybe a four-three-three, four, or a or a progressive four-two-three-one. Four, two, I think, yeah, yeah, would be the way to go, and and not the four-two-three-one against Brentford, but where you've got sort of you know pressing players, defensive players as you no as you your have three. a proper 10 yeah you have a, 10. you have a creative 10 uh maybe even lewis can play there <coughs> uh and proper wingers i thought sorber thomas was probably the one bright spark um as, as much as there was one against norwich when he came on i gave him a five i think basically on principle because i didn't feel like i should give anyone above a five but then afterwards on the drive home i was thinking actually no i should have given him at least a six because i thought he he came on and and looked looked bright up that left side i thought scott high did all right actually like he had a couple of moments but he also had um you know i, I, I didn't think he 
covered himself in glory tracking back for the, for the penalty. Um, although he, he probably did the right thing, not sliding in and, and making a tackle. But mm-hmm. um, but he also played a couple of really nice balls forward and had a couple of good runs. So I almost wonder if he's worth, you know, we, we were talking about you don't have that Vallejo replacement. I wonder if he is worth a look. Um, but it's a big pressure game to put a young player in. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't but be I, arguing especially like, hard. To go on to a conversation we've had off there, <laughs> I do think it's worth. I did like someone like Sorba Thomas. If you look at his three appearances so far, Steve, he's, he came on in reaction to Wickham's goal in the 88th minute. He came on with five minutes to go, two nil down to Derby when everybody had given up, and I include Derby in that, who had just stopped playing at that point. And then he comes on at five nil down against Norwich, and I think you were right. I think he he was one of the brightest sparks. Let's see him at nil nil. Let, yeah, I let's agree. See yeah. him when he goes for it, and you know, similarly with Scott High, he's had a few minutes here and there, but. He came on very late in the Wiccan game. He came on in the Derby game. He came on in the Preston game. Um, And funnily enough, very similar thing to the penalty against Norwich, wasn't there? There was that long run where he didn't dive in uh, and concede Mm. the foul. Uh, And then he comes on, you know, I think it is worth having a proper look at these players Mm because I was speaking to a couple of town hands and one of them said, oh, Scott High's not ready. I think he's. I think he's rubbish. Just like no, I think he's a really good young player. I think he's an excellent prospect. But context of games makes a huge difference, and it would be good to see a couple of these players with the context being that they can get on the front foot and it's nil nil. And they, you know, I'm not saying Sorba Thomas can go and put 90 minutes in, but I'd definitely like to see him from the start. I mean, we've seen Aaron Rowe in the context of Town playing better or playing different, and he's been really, really good. <laughs> really good you know to the point where he's he's really stood out so I do feel it, it's it's time to sort of look at a couple of these players instead of bringing them off to give senior players a rest before they play a team in the bottom three at the weekend I think no play them from the start yeah. give them a run let's have a look yeah I would quite like as you say 4-2-3-1 O'Brien at 10 Thomas and Bender on the wing so no go up front um uh and high and hog as as you too. Uh, the problem is at fullback, of course. If Pippa's not ready, then at left back, we we know that that Carlos doesn't seem to to particularly um, want to play Jaden Brown, as we've discussed. And I think Aaron Rowe as a pure left back, uh, I'm a bit <laughs> wary of that. But I think you've got. I mean, at least Brown is a left back, is the thing, and he's desperate to play and he's desperate to make a point. And do you know what? He had a run last year and he did all right. I think he got exposed mm. in the end because teams learnt to target him but he did all right you know he we've seen him in the side and and he's done fine so you know playing there at least he's a left back Uh, yeah and and also lads it's Rotherham (laughs) yeah that's exactly what I was going to say it's that's what I said to you on a on a on a text the other night you know how many players do you need to save for a game against a team in what are they 23rd and I think they've scored 35 goals all season they've not even gone at so they've not even gone at a goal a game, I don't think. So mm. I'm not sure how much you need to keep in the tank, really. I think the whole point of that Rotherham game is that you set your stall out that you're going to go at them because we know we know exactly what you're going to get from Rotherham, Steve, which is that they're going to sit back and they're going to try and get they're going to try not to lose the game rather than win it. Yeah. So you need to get on the front foot and you need to go at them. And I think 
an injection of youth would not be a bad thing. And I'm nowhere near as down as on Rowe as you. I, I think Rowe would be absolutely fine at fullback. I, I really do. I think I'd, I'd be more than happy to see him there. I like Jaden Brown, but I just think that I think the red card was the moment they yeah. gave up on him. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, I, I like Rowe at wing back. I think he's I think he's got a lot of potential at wing back. I just don't I I don't especially like it at left back um, as a as an out and out full back. I think even if you were talking about right back, I might be more comfortable. But I think he gets done with crossfield balls, and we know that Rotherham have a you know a long raking style and like to get balls into the box when they on the rare occasions they do they, attack. So, but again, that's where you. That's where you employ your analysts, and yeah. that's where you train on the training pitch, isn't it? And mm-hmm. that's where you make sure he's aware of that, and he's got the sort of tools in his toolbox to to deal with it. But yeah, I I I really think it's a front foot game. I really think they've got a they. There's absolutely no point town going into that game hoping they get a point. No, no, <laughs> they, and, I, and I don't they've think got they to win it. I mean, they went they've into the, win it. they went into the Brentford game wanting to win, and Carlos, was, yeah. you know, Carlos afterwards was like, actually, we're disappointed that because we wanted to win it and we're, we're annoyed that we didn't that, uh, that we only got a point and you, you know we, it is worth saying amongst all of this because we did gloss over the Brentford game for obvious reasons but you know we were I was full of praise in the conclusions for the for the lineup we picked against Brentford I thought he got the the lineup from the beginning exactly right and uh, I thought he made appropriate changes. I, th- I think things went wrong after Vallejo went off, and I thought he responded at half time and made appropriate changes to to um, to help stave off the threat. So it is worth sort of saying that after <laughs> you know going in heavy on on the Norwich game, but I think necessarily so. I thought that was a mm. anyway. There you go, uh, and I think. You know they did play well against Rotherham earlier this season, and they 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 ended up um, feeling like it was they, their last minute. It was goal, last it? minute deflected. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pippa sort of cross come shot, um, so to speak. Um, did a and and it went in off a Rotherham man, and you ended up feeling like oh town of got away with one there um but you know the, the xg from that game is is amongst the best they've yeah. had all season rather well, than the, the, that game was the like the first time you really saw the you really saw the proper foundation of i mean for want of a better term of, of carlos ball because yeah. that was the that was the game where you could see the pattern of play more clearly defined they were completely in control that was that, that yeah. was the word that they used afterwards was they had such control biggest xg difference i should say not biggest xg they didn't create a huge and that, but that's that's what they've got to get back to that's what i was talking about before they should be looking to finish this season on a high but it feels like now again because of the extremes they operate in you're quite right <laughs> the only way they really finish it on a high is if they basically go on a playoff level run of form and win five out of seven or yeah. absolutely tonk someone seven nil and again it's that it's that struggle to reach the middle ground that they just they just i don't know i don't know i don't know what the answer is steve i really don't yeah cool fun ah mm. <laughs> uh, man does that, do you feel better now, Dave? Do you feel like uh, a weight has been lifted? Yeah, because the, the Norwich game, to just let you know how the sausage was made, the reason Steve's asking me that is because I was absolutely bubbling. I was fuming. I mean, we're not we're not Huddersfield Town fans. We're invested neutrals, and I was absolutely fuming about that game. <laughs> Couldn't stop thinking about it yesterday. Uh, 
There you go. Football, eh? Mm. Right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope it was cathartic for you as well. And hopefully we're sitting here on uh, on Monday and cracking open the, well, no secco for me or faux secco. Um, and, you know, celebrating another year in the championship. Uh, is is faux as that is a, a thing? No, is no secco. No secco is. I don't know if I just made up faux secco. And I that's, think. I don't that's know. just non-alcoholic prosecco. Yeah, I mean that's just that's utterly pointless. I well, mean, prosecco's horrible anyway. The thing is, like, I'm an, I'm a not oh faux secco is a thing. Uh, I'm a <laughs> non-drinker now, and the thing is, you need when you've got a celebration, you need to have a sense of occasion still, and it's. It's almost a ceremonial thing rather than a I want to have a drink thing. Anyway, this is Prosecco Chat. <laughs> Hopefully it will be Prosecco Chat on, on Monday and not Drowning Our Sorrows Chat. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Oh, you're, you're, there's some news on your book, isn't there, on Silver Linings? Yes. No, they've moved it up. It was originally coming out in June, but basically because... It it is going to go into shops, but obviously with the way retail is and everything else, you know, they bookshops got a lot of stock to shift before they're bringing new stuff in, and everything's still a bit weird. They've bought the release up, so it's actually out on April the twenty sixth. So if you order yourself a copy, you will get it a lot earlier. And that's your book about England under Bobby Robson, isn't it? It is indeed silver linings. There we go, fantastic. Get your copies now, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. See you. There. Who to be a, 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 who to be a